morning. This is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Mondays and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. on KOPN, and all episodes can be found online at kopn.org and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today on the show, we are joined by Jessica DiNapoli, corporate governance reporter for Reuters. She'll speak with us about her research into vaccine company executives making millions during the process of developing their product. Good morning, Jessica. Thank you for joining us today. Morning. Thanks for having me. And as always, we're joined by our regular Wednesday host, Jenny Chadwick. Jenny will give us an overview of local news and numbers before we head into our interview with Jessica. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning, Mallory, and thank you so much, Jessica, for joining us this morning. So as KOPN is a volunteer um, radio station, so is the volunteer that we source our data from in the state of Missouri, Matthew Holloway's data, who Matthew has been collecting data since March. Um, unfortunately, our Missouri State Health Department is always quite behind and um not getting the most accurate information to our citizenry. And so as we report, Matthew Holloway identified 1,655 cases in 51 jurisdictions and 50 deaths in the state of Missouri. And as our listeners remember, at the peak of this, um, you know, just as, as early, just as recently as December, we were seeing about 100 deaths per day in the state of Missouri, and that's dropped significantly. We were also seeing about 5,000 cases per day in the state in December, and we have dropped all the way to averaging 1,500 um, cases identified per day. We do know that those rapid antigen tests are not reported in a lot of the data, so it's still not totally clear how much the decrease is happening, but we're not seeing that just in the state of Missouri. We're seeing it across the nation as we follow the New York Times data um, in looking at the cases per population. Um, the U.S. is averaging about 141,000 cases per day, which right now we didn't see, we haven't seen that the number so low since around mid November. So one thing that we always talk about on the show is the importance of getting tested. And I want to note that Compass Health is offering free testing from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. at two Columbia locations. So one at 1001 West Worley, so right next to the Boone County Health Department. And again, that's from 8 to 4. It is the rapid antigen test. I will admit to our listeners that I went and did it this morning right at 8 a.m. and I was home by 8.15. So there's some parking spots along the side of the building. You pull in, you call the phone number, they bring out the paperwork, you stick the swab up your nose and you drive away. So um, within 20 minutes, they call you and give you your test results. I know there's controversy in testing. The rapid antigen test is not as reliable, um, but it does give us results and it helps us to identify community spread. Right now, we are reporting in our community a 25% positivity rate. So one out of every four people in our community who get tested are testing positive. So it's so important as we see these numbers drop to keep these numbers down. And we think about what in our community is creating spread, and we know gatherings. Yay, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, Missouri, um, but we are heading into Super Bowl weekend, and so just a reminder not to gather indoors or have parties at your house. So 
Looking here in Boone County, our numbers are continuing to drop really positive. Um, <laughs> I know that our listeners probably have not heard me um, in a positive light very often on this show. So we are at 58 cases within the county. Again, these are numbers that we haven't seen in months. Um, looking at like our CPA, our Columbia Public School data, um, dropping down to numbers that look like our October numbers. So why are these numbers dropping? Many reasons. We really understand how the virus is transmitted. Um, we have a number of people in our community that have already had it. And then we have a number of people starting to get vaccinated. I have to say that Missouri still falls. Um, right now we're 49th. We have been 50th for a really long time. Apparently Idaho dropped down below us um, by less than a tenth of a percent of num percentage of our population vaccinated. So Missouri only has 5.8% of our population vaccinated. We've only used up about 57% of the vaccines that we've been given already. So we can do better and we need to do better. And one place that we're doing better is that we, Boone County was finally selected as a mass vaccination site. So um, over these next couple of days, NU Healthcare will be distributing 4,000 vaccines. There are two ways to sign up for getting vaccines that I I'm fully aware of in Boone County. That's if you go to como.gov forward slash COVID vaccine, you can get on the Boone County Health Department sign up to get on the vaccine list. Unfortunately, there's not one universal place in the state of Missouri to sign up. Every county has a different place, and that's not necessarily the health department, and it's not necessarily the local hospital. So, unfortunately, Fortunately, you know, I've seen Matthew Holloway report, he's not tracking all the ways to get vaccinated, but I know that I've seen over 15, 20 ways to get signed up, and those signups are not communicating. So MU Healthcare does have a COVID-19 vaccine survey on their website. If you go to muhealthcare.org, it's on the very top um, banner. There's a sign up to get vaccinated. You get on the vaccine sign up, and when your tier opens, and I know we've talked a lot about tiers, then you will be sent an email. And this max vaccination site, I know that there's been a lot of questions. It's at Faro Field. It is my understanding, as I did get my first vaccine at Faro Field, that that is an indoor vaccination site. So you will pull up and park right next to Faro Field. You will go indoors up the elevator and be directed. There was plenty of space and distancing when I went um, to get my vaccine and um, that you schedule an appointment. You don't just arrive. This is not one of the mass vaccination sites in Missouri, which we've had where people just pull up and you wait in line and hope to get a vaccine. This is by invitation only and you would get an email. So this is a really interesting conversation about, okay, in Missouri, in the way we're getting vaccinated. But now, like, we're so excited to have Jessica to talk about the, the financial side of the vaccine and who's profiting from this. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Jenny, for those local updates. Um, 
as you mentioned, vaccines are on everyone's mind, minds, and we've been covering vaccines for, um, you know, really the past couple of weeks on the show. Um, and well, really, we're coming on a year of probably uttering the word COVID vaccine um, back in March. So we're really excited to have Jessica on to talk a little bit about the big business side of vaccine development and um, her research into that. So Jessica, just to start, um, could you tell us a little bit about your reporting backgrounds and interests and how you came to report on this topic? Sure. Um, I um, used to work at local newspapers and then joined Reuters about five and a half years ago. And um, my area of coverage is what goes on in the boardrooms of major companies. Um, uh, and that includes everything from like look, companies looking for a new CEO to executive compensation, which is how I um, got on to looking about looking into uh, um, how pharmaceutical executives were making money um, as their shares went up as they developed vaccines. And can you describe for our listeners a little bit like, uh, you know, say you're explaining it to a fifth grader or something. Um, how does this kind of work when the profits go up and executives cash out? Um, what does that like really mean? So basically, in a nutshell, with these smaller companies working on COVID vaccines, um, as they announce that they're, first of all, working on a vaccine um, and then positive news along the way, like that they're starting a clinical trial, the, their stock goes up a lot. Like Novavax's stock last year went up thousands of percent um, because investors were very excited about the possibility that Novavax could develop a vaccine. So they just plowed money um, into Novavax shares. So for executives, um, who hold stock in the company, that meant that their holdings were exploding in value pretty much. Um, so they had a, a very big incentive to, to sell their shares along the way, which is what Novavax executives did, and, and so did executives at other companies like Moderna um, and Pfizer. Okay. Um, and then what are kind of the bigger implications of that for the vaccine development and the process of getting a vaccine out to the public? I mean, what does it mean that these executives are being incentivized to kind of um, make their profits before they prove that they've uh, produced something that is helpful for the crisis that we're in? Sure. So executives for vaccine development, well, the, the thing is, is that executives are selling shares, but they're also sitting on um, huge amounts of options and other shares. So they still have a very big incentive to continue um, developing a vaccine and making sure that they bring a successful product to market so that because if they do, their shares will remain high and um, and they'll be able to cash out even more. Hmm. Um, so it's for vaccine development, it's, they, they should um, want to continue. Um, they want to make sure that they that they're successful, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and are what are the projection, projections looking like for these profits? Are they expected to kind of continue going up for years? And I mean, hopefully everyone is able to receive the vaccine in a timely manner. But um, are these shares going to keep rising for years and years? Or is this just something for 2020, 2021? What's it looking like? Well, it's unclear, actually, because so, for instance, Novavax, um, they don't have a successful vaccine yet, but uh, I think it was last month they announced more positive news um, that their vaccine um, showed like high levels of like um, that it worked pretty well. Mm-hmm. So that that meant their their stock went up quite a bit. Um, so I would expect that it would continue to go up as they um, once they bring actually like bring the vaccine to market. The thing with Novavax is they're pretty far behind other companies that are already, that already have a successful vaccine, like Moderna and Pfizer, um, and even J and J. So we're still waiting to see if they they can actually distribute it. And um, you know, it's still it's still a work in progress. Mm-hmm. And your reporting did kind of hone in on. Novavax in in the piece that I reached out to you about. Um, And in that piece, you report that Novavax received $1.6 billion in taxpayer funding through Operation Warp Speed. And um, and also that Novavax chief executive, Stanley Irk, is that how you say his name? I think so. Okay, cashed out for $8.7 million over the course of 2020, which is just, I mean, of course, to me, is a mind-boggling amount of money. Um, Yeah. So what is the reasoning behind giving so much taxpayer money to corporations that are reaping so many profits off of this vaccine development? So that was how we basically came onto this story to begin with, because when they got that government money, their stock price went up a lot. Hmm. So once their stock price went up a lot, Stanley Earp's holdings in the company went up a lot. And then all of a sudden, he, he's sitting on, like, quite a large holding of stock in Novavax that now is worth tens of millions of dollars. Um, so the, the government, I don't think, I think they just, the reason for giving that money was not to um, enrich ex- executives. The reason for giving the money was to um, get more vaccines in development and in production and you know, ending the pandemic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think the, the reason was to, to um, help executives make money. Mm-hmm. But it just kind of so happens that that signaled to investors or, you know, people involved in these sorts of business transactions that like, oh, these these vaccine companies are receiving money to develop these products and, um they decided to to infuse their their own money into that process is that is that a good summary of that basically yeah it's all of a sudden novavax i mean last year well in 2019 novavax was like almost on the brink of bankruptcy their shares were like um you know less than a dollar um and once they basically the government wrote them a check for 1.6 billion dollars so that automatically makes the company much more valuable and their shares much more valuable. Um, So executives 
are now sitting on more valuable stock. Mm-hmm. And we do have a Novavax trial that's going on here locally, and I know that Ginny has um, done some episodes on that. Um, Ginny, do you have any questions related to Novavax just kind of while we're on this topic? I have plenty more if not, but just wanted to hand the mic over to you if you did have any. Yeah, I think, you know, and Mallory hearing this conversation, and Jessica, I think that you can probably weigh into this. You know, in the past, making vaccines has not been a profitable business. I mean, we saw a lot of companies really take a hit in producing the Zika and the SARS vaccine. And so when we think about and you talk about the influx of government money, Jessica, can you maybe give the listeners a better insight into, you know, what is how are these vaccines funded as far as, you know, private, um, non-for-profit, and then the, the government funding, just kind of bigger picture? Well, I'm not an expert on how these companies end up making money ultimately mm-hmm. off of the vaccines. The thing about the Novavax situation is a lot of it at this point, to an extent, is Speculative. I mean, they've had positive data um, through their trials, um, but they've been Novavax has been around 30 years, and the thing about them is that they actually have not yet successfully brought any vaccine to market. Um, so, to you know, they've funded themselves over time through government grants, basically. Um, the government gives them money in the hopes that they can improve public health and um that's that's kind of how they operate and i think you know you've talked about a couple different vaccines and so to give our listeners an idea right now there's kind of what we would call the five vaccines that have publicly given results on how they uh, help to reduce the um impact and and again you know, we don't know if the COVID-19 vaccine redu- eliminates transmission. So you can possibly get infected. But what we do know is that the vaccine reduces the symptoms or, or getting sick from. And all five vaccines that have publicly um, produced results show that they have eliminated COVID-19 deaths in the trial um, participants. And so those five vaccines being AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Moderna, Novavax, and as you refer to J&J, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And each of those vaccines, each of those five vaccines, have received some government funding. So not a single one of them have been produced without government funding. What we look at from there is the percentage of government funding that they've received. And as we look at Novavax, and, and as you highlight, you know, Novavax, shares have very little value prior to that infiltration of government funding, Novavax has received, um, you know, quite a substantial percentage of their funding from government funding. In fact, you know, I would say well over two-thirds of the funding that comes for the vaccine has come from government funding, whereas Pfizer actually has a smaller portion of government funding. And, you know, the BBC does a very beautiful article that we'll make sure to get into the show notes on the percentage of funding that's coming from government versus private. And so Novavax actually has, according to this BBC article, which is data coming from Airfinity, the smallest percentage of private funding 
of any of those major vaccines out so far, just shy of Moderna, which the Moderna vaccine has all been either non-for-profit or government funding so far. No private funding has come from 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 Moderna. But anyway, so that's Jessica, just thoughts on that. That's interesting. I mean, the thing about Novavax and Moderna, I mean, I know more about Novavax, is that um, this is kind of their only product. So, like, Novavax, they've worked on flu vaccines, and they um, reached, like, um, you know, a late-stage trial on a flu flu vaccine. They never brought it to market. Um, but they're a relatively small company. So this is, like, their main um, and, to a like, certain extent, only product. Um, similar situation for Moderna. That's why... The shares on, on news of the on news of the companies working on vaccines. That's why the shares of both those companies went up so much. Um, and yeah, they they need government funding to to work on um, developing products like that. And I think most of us know the story, but if our listeners don't, you know, Dolly Parton was actually one of the initial funders of that Moderna vaccine, putting in a million dollars to get it started. And that's where you see that non-for-profit funding. As far as Novavax, do you know where some of that non-profit funding came from to get it going? Um, Along the way, they they got um, a grant from... Uh, I believe it's called CEPI. It's a, I think, um, vaccine developer overseas. There's been talk that Novavax's vaccine would be used um, extensively in middle and low-income countries. Um, I think that that, that it, it may have came came about because of that. Other than that, I, I'm not sure where they they receive their other nonprofit funding from. Mm-hmm. And you know, as you talk about the fact that the Novavax vaccine is different from the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine in that it doesn't require such cold temperatures. And so there is belief that it will be easily or more easily transported into, um, you know, third world or low income and rural communities. So that's part of the, you know, rationale we often hear in the government funding I'm curious, and then Mallory, after that, I know you have further questions. In making the decision, the government, so a part of the warp speed, do you know what the thought was behind why we gave Novavax $1.6 billion here in the U.S. when we weren't giving companies like Pfizer that were looking pretty productive that much funding? I, I actually don't know. I think the government mm-hmm. wanted to have like a lot of irons in the fire um, mm-hmm. in terms of um, vaccines underway. So like if if one didn't work out, that would be okay because they would have five others that were still in development. Um, beyond that, how they picked Novavax, I, I'm not sure. I think, yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit, Jessica, about like your experience reporting on this issue and how easy or difficult it's been for you to obtain information. Um, How has that experience gone for you? So a lot of the information about executives selling shares is public. 
Um, it's all in financial filings. The challenge with it is it's very technical and it involves a lot of like math and calculations. So that that was very challenging. I used um, like compensation consultants to help me double check what I was doing, and um, yeah, so that was hard. And also, Novavax like at first was not really forthcoming, um, but oh, they they eventually like kind of gave us a statement and let me let us know if if we were um, on target with with our reporting. Got it. And then um, just in terms of, of corporate oversight, who kind of holds these folks accountable for what they're doing, the decisions they make, um, <laughs> how much profit they're receiving? Just, you know, how who, who holds them accountable? Is it mostly journalists like yourself who go out and um, find this information and report it to the public? What are the measures in place, I guess, is my question. Um, so besides the journalists, like, investors um, would be looking looking at these stock sales they will this summer they'll vote they'll approve or disapprove um, the executive compensation for executives um, so if they find that these stock sales were egregious um, they can vote down give a disapproval to the stay on pay vote um, this rarely happens um, investors are probably, happy with how Novavax has gone down so far because the stock is up so much. Um, but yeah, other than that, they, there's not, I mean, the government, maybe they would be holding them accountable. Um, but I'm not sure about that. Okay. Um, and then in your article, you mentioned this, uh, I don't know how it would be said 10 B five one plan. Is that who you would say? Mm -hmm. it? Um, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit uh, about that and, and how it connects to um, the executive trying to avoid any kind of suggestion that there's insider trading going on? Sure. Yeah, those programs, the 10B51 programs, are basically automated trading programs that executives set up ahead of time um, to sell their shares in the company um, at certain intervals and when the stock hits certain prices. So, um and it basically gives them cover for any sort of allegation or suspicion that, that they are selling their shares using information they know as insiders of the company. Um, so a good number of the Novavax um, executives were using those programs. Um, the same thing for other um, executives at other companies. So it, it basically helps investors feel comfortable with with the share sales. And I did just want to mention that we had a caller um, call in in response to one of the questions that Ginny posed um, about mm -hmm. the Pfizer um, funding. And she had, the caller said that she had read that Pfizer, for whatever reason, didn't accept or didn't want a certain amount of, of that government funding, I believe. Um, yeah. So we can we can invite our listeners to look into that or we can talk about it at a different show. We only have a few minutes left. Um, but Jessica, is there anything that we haven't asked you about your reporting on this topic that you think is important for our listeners to know and be aware of? I, I guess the one other thing like to keep in mind is like, you know, with executives selling shares before they have a successful product, they, they have created value along the way like they've 
worked on a vaccine that even if they don't finish it, some other company could buy them and finish it for them. So it's not like they're 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 not doing anything and selling these shares unfairly. They, they have created something um, along the way. So that 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 I thought was when I was somebody explained that to me while I was reporting the story, and I thought that was. A good point. Mm-hmm. And um, just to play, you know, devil's advocate, I suppose, in our last minute, um, why not encourage these executives to open the patents to their vaccines so that they are more accessible? That's an interesting idea. I mean, then, yeah, then their special sauce would be, you know, <laughs> released on the world. They wouldn't have anything anymore. I mean, maybe at some point they'll do that, but um yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> well, we're sol- solving all of the world's ills right here in this conversation in Columbia, Missouri. So thank you so much, Jessica, for joining us today. And thank you, Jenny, for um, all of your questions and insights shared. Uh, sure. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. Special thanks to our guest, Jessica DiNapoli, journalist with Reuters. If you missed part of this program or want to share it with your friends, you can find it later today at KOPN.org and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can catch the show again live on Monday at 9 a.m. with host Dr. Elizabeth Alleman. As always, we invite you to share your questions with us as we plan for future episodes. Leave a message for us at 573-874-874. 1139 or email gm at kopn.org. Thank you so much for tuning in to KOPN 89.5 FM. 51% is up next. Stay tuned.